As humans, we are so curious. We want to know how things work, how things look, and why things are the way they are. And it starts so young, doesn't it? Even children constantly asking about the world around them. And some questions we can pin down with a fairly small amount of effort, but the big questions take some digging. Questions about our purpose, our identity, and questions about God's love. Digging deep into these questions is the topic today on the podcast. Hey, this is Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for tuning into our Tower Hill podcast. Wherever or whenever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We are in the second installment of the sermon series, More Than You Know, and Pastor Jason is setting out to see what the Bible says about our purpose. Who am I and why am I here? And the answer to these puzzle pieces are, well, more than you know. So let's check it out right now. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Tower Hill. Uh, It's so good to have you here for worship this morning. And if you're new with us, maybe you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome. We hope that you feel as welcome as you are, as you watch, as you engage, as you check out what, what worship is all about here, how we worship God together. And we are in the second part of our sermon series. So if you missed part one, you can always go back and listen to that. There are a lot of different ways that you can either watch or listen to that. You go to our website, towerhillchurch.org. You can also find it on our app, the Tower Hill app. You can find it on our podcast. Literally any way that you can consume it, except for in-person live, you can listen to it um, and get all caught up to speed. Well, last week we were talking a little bit about how our brains love solving puzzles. And puzzles are like in huge demand right now that uh, people during the pandemic, they started doing puzzles, and apparently puzzle sales are up 300%. We were talking about how puzzles uh, is kind of like our thing as human beings. Our brains are wired to solve puzzles. No matter what the puzzle is that you're working on, it could be certain puzzles in your life. Maybe it's a career change, or maybe it's just a problem that's in front of you. Your brain wants to solve the puzzle. And until your brain is able to solve that puzzle, it's really easy for you to get stuck. It gets harder and harder to move forward. Well, this is true in our faith. Until we have that last puzzle piece together of who we are in Jesus Christ, until we have that together, the picture is incomplete. And we find that sometimes we get stuck in our lives. It gets really hard to move forward when we don't have that piece in place. What's that piece really about? It's about identity. It's about answering the fundamental questions, who am I and why am I here? These are two questions that everybody struggles with from time to time, but this is really important in our faith, again, because if you don't know who you are, it's hard to move forward. And who are you? You're a child of God. Who does Jesus say that I am? He says that I am a redeemed child of God, and my life is put in motion by what Jesus did for me on the cross and how he calls me forward to do his kingdom work. You notice living the Christian life is all about identity. In fact, there are spiritual forces all around trying to knock down your identity. And and when you really notice this is when you're feeling really close to God. You ever have what we call a mountaintop experience? Maybe you go away to a camp or a retreat or you're sitting in worship or you have this 
big aha moment with your faith. And when that happens, it's like you feel very clearly who you are. You know who you are in Jesus. Yes, I'm a child of God. You feel very close to God. Your identity as God's child is not in question. And then you ever notice like immediately after that, you start getting obstacles in your way. In your way. You start getting people who question your identity. Because the darkness around us, the enemy, is trying to say, no, 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 you're not a child of God. You're who you were before. You're not good enough. You can't follow Jesus. Look at you. You're a mess. This is the lie. And this is why identity is so important. You know, when Jesus was baptized, he had this moment where God the Father audibly said, this is my son. It was this moment of identity of Jesus as the son for everybody else to see. Remember what happened immediately when he went into the wilderness? The very next thing, what does Satan say to him? If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, do this. He questioned his identity. Identity, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, is everything. So we've been talking about that over the last week and we'll continue next week as well. Well, in our story, we're talking about Ephesians and we're talking about the two communities that were together and how they were having an identity crisis. We had uh, the Jews, the Jewish converts, and we had the Roman converts to Christianity. So when you know who you are, your purpose becomes clear. But go ahead to the next slide. You had the Jewish converts to Christianity who they're like, well, we were already God's chosen people. Right? And, and those, those Romans who now are coming to Christianity, they're, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. In, in other words, we, we follow God's laws. We've always been God's chosen. We have been set apart for this. I can't even have lunch with those Gentile people because they don't get it right. So clearly, they need to get their act together and become Jewish first before they can hope to follow Jesus. And, Jesus, and Paul was trying to explain that it's not your heritage that does it. And this is really the truth. Your heritage doesn't make you a son or daughter of God. You are an adopted son or daughter of God. It's just like my stepdad was an electrician. It doesn't mean I'm automatically in the union. It makes no sense. I don't know how to be an electrician, even though I helped him for a couple of summers and I remember nothing other than getting yelled at for bringing the wrong tool. But seriously, the it's, it doesn't make me, it's not automatic because my parents had faith. Generations before me had faith. Yeah, but where you been? That doesn't count. Previous generations' relationship with Jesus does not count for me. Let me put it to you this way. Uh, this happens, you see this a lot happen in the life of the church where somebody will come up and be like, yeah, you know, we would like and then name it. They want like some kind of religious goods and services. They, perhaps they want to have a wedding here for their daughter or granddaughter. And they say things like, you know, we like to do our wedding here, and we ask them if they're members. And they say yes. And so we look them up in the database. Turns out they're not. They were like removed from the roles 45 years ago. It's like, well, what happened? And then, and then when you ask them that question, they'll say something like, yeah, but I grew up in this church. My mother came here every day for 75 years. Right? Therefore, you owe, you owe this service to me. And I want to say, where have you been? What do you live, out of state? Oh, no, we're right here in Little Silver. Where have you been? 
You're, the faithfulness of the generation before you doesn't count for your own. Your identity in Christ has to be formed by Christ firsthand. And this is the lesson that Paul was trying to explain to them. Your identity in Christ is formed by the Christ who is forming you from the inside out. There's no way to get that vicariously through other people. It's not a genetic disposition or inheritance. And so as he was talking about this, talking about this language of adoption, he's about to get into something and say something really even more dramatic. So he uses adoption as a way of saying, look, it doesn't matter where we come from, whether you're, you're Jewish or you're Gentile, we all come the same way. We're adopted. But he start, he's going to make a really big point, an even bigger point than that coming up. And he has to start with the problem of sin. If I took a pitcher of water and I drop, put a couple of drops of ink, of it, what, ink in it, what would happen? Well, would the ink just kind of neatly separate and divide so it would be like ink on one side and pure water on the other? No, of course not. It would diffuse through the whole container of water. In other words, if I was looking for pure water, there would be none left. This is the problem of sin that Paul's trying to explain to his Jewish and Gentile congregation in Ephesus. And say, no, 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 you don't understand. You didn't just get it a little wrong. It doesn't matter if you had a couple of drops or a whole container of ink. The whole pitcher's ruined. The only way you get pure water now is to dump out the bad water and put in new water, the living water of Jesus Christ. And this is how we are made whole by what Jesus did on the cross. Because you remember, we can't be in God's presence in our sinful state. Remember that moment in uh, where the burning, burning bush, God's voice spoke to Moses, said, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Right from the beginning, he was helping us to understand that God is perfectly holy and pure. He, he does not allow sin in his presence, human sin. He is so holy, we just can't be in his presence without being made holy first, which is what Jesus does for us. And when this happens, something radical happens. Something changes forever. And this is the something that he talks about next. He says, actually, it goes way beyond adoption. It's something even more radical than that. So let's get into it. This is Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, if we stayed right there, this is the state of all people before the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, is that we are hopelessly lost because of sin. Sin has so thoroughly corrupted humanity that we remain far away, far off. And he's pointing out, remember you Gentiles? You had no chance to be included in the covenant. You weren't even close. And if that were the last sentence in the story, it would be a tragic one indeed. But then we get the good news of the gospel. 
verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and had just destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is wild. So when we read that, that Jesus is our peace and he's torn down the dividing wall of hostility, there is a spiritual part of this that's absolutely true, that this wall of hostility, this sinfulness, Jesus tore it down. He made it right. He made us holy. And therefore, there was no more division between our sinful humanity and Jesus because he redeemed it, he cleansed it, he purified it, like the container with ink water. But there is also a literal reference that Paul is making here with this dividing wall of hostility. It was actually a wall that existed in the temple in Jerusalem. So we have a diagram here. If you go to the next slide. It's, uh, well, yeah, there we go. So there is a wall here, this wall of partition. This is the wall of hostility that he's talking about. So you had the outer courtyard of the Gentiles, which means anybody could come into that part of the temple. And then if you look, there's this wall that divides from the inner court. It was a way of keeping out those people who were not Jewish. And on that wall, so they've done the archaeology. They actually found the remains of the wall that used to be there. And it used to have an inscription on it that was warning them. So I think, here's an actual picture. If you go to the next one. Here's an actual picture of the wall. And you'll see there's an inscription on it in Greek. And it says, whoever is captured will have themselves to blame for their subsequent death. Which is nice and hospitable. I actually think I saw that on the wall of a Chuck E. Cheese once. Anyway, all right, maybe not, but no, this, this was the wall of hostility, right? It's saying you can't go any further. It's on you if you get captured and you die trying to come in here because we take this very seriously, the holiness of God. Only God's children can come in and everybody else remains on the outside. So what about this dividing wall of hostility? Again, let's go back to verse 15. Jesus tore this down by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. In other words, all the old covenant he made right in his own flesh. He fulfilled the requirements of the law that no human ever had or ever would fulfill on their own beside him. When he fulfilled it, he eliminated our need to fulfill it because he did it for us. His purpose was to create in himself, and this was the part that was probably so hard to hear. I wonder if people left church when they heard this. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This would have been so incredibly shocking to hear. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. Not only does your heritage not count for your faith, 
We're, we're forgetting that heritage completely. You're something else now. One new humanity out of the two, where you are both equal under the cross. You're no longer Jew nor Gentile. You're something else. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. I don't think we really appreciate how radical this was. This would be like saying to the Israelis and Palestinians, there's no more Israel or Palestine. There's no more two groups. You're now made one. Two enemies. No, no, no. You don't exist. Now you're one. That's what he was saying. That had to be such a hard message to hear. But what a beautiful message to hear as well. I was trying to think of what in America would sort of come together. I said, well, maybe like our political system. Our political system is, let's say, slightly divided. I think, I mean, the animosity and the enmity between these two groups, Republican and Democrat, is, I've never seen it like this. I don't know if any of us ever have. But it'd be sort of like saying in the presidential campaign this year, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden come out. And they say, we've been talking, America. We've been talking. And we decided, you know what? We're just going to do this together. We're going to be co-presidents. In fact, we think that uh, our strengths and weaknesses match up. We think we'll be better together as this new thing. Maybe, Maybe we'll be the bear instead of the elephant and the donkey. We're going to be this new American party. Those two parties no longer exist. We are now one as we move forward together. We are something else. We are a different animal. This is how radical the message of the cross is, and that doesn't even encapsulate it. We are forever changed. We are made one new humanity by what Jesus did on the cross. We are children of God. We are no longer Jew and Gentile. We are just followers of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean for us then? In all of that, as radical as it is, how does it land in our everyday lives? I do think it's about identity. Something so dramatic and radical happened that it changed everything, including not only our relationship with God, but our understanding of our own lives, our own selves. Who am I and why am I here is answered fully and finally through Jesus Christ. So what do we mean by identity? Who am I? I am a child of God. I'm a new creation. God's son or daughter. I'm an heir to the Father. That's who I am. And why does that matter? Well, again, when you know who you are, your purpose becomes clear. When that puzzle piece is in, the picture becomes clear for our lives. And we can move forward in faith, move forward in following Jesus. It's like the difference between self-esteem and God-esteem. Imagine self-esteem is like a bubble or a balloon that sits over your head. And your own sense of how you're doing in life is based on how filled this bubble or balloon is. So, you know, I, I go to work and my boss you know, gives me, gives me a lot of praise for my job. And I go, I'm invited by my friends to go out to lunch and I feel so included and welcome and we have such a great time. I feel so loved by them. I go home and my family can't wait to see me and we, 
and I just can feel their love and there's nothing like it. I'm feeling great. Well, then the next day I go and my boss yells at me for something. My friends go out to lunch without me. They didn't even invite me. I go home and my family doesn't even care that I came home. And you see, if we're just relying on self-esteem, our lives are going to be like this. But if you have God esteem, you're saying, no, no, I am a child of God. I'm a new creation. I am an heir to the great and glorious inheritance he has given me. No matter what comes my way, nothing stops my God esteem. And so I can move forward in my life. I'm not paralyzed by my circumstance. I'm set free by the blood of Jesus Christ that brought me near, even me, even me who was once far off. I've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. When you really get this, it changes everything. And so when you're tempted to be questioned on your identity, some of the thoughts that come into your head, is God really there? Does God really care? The answer is yes. More than you know. Amen.